This morning, I will be preaching from Ezekiel chapter 37, in which Ezekiel has a vision, and in this vision, he describes God restoring Israel to what he calls an exceedingly great army. Now, we know that as these prophets write, and even in our Sunday school class this morning, we heard of how when, I, when Ezekiel writes to these original authors, or excuse me, to his original audience, he's writing a prophecy to them. And so he is describing to the nation of Israel that despite their circumstances, God will make them an exceedingly great army. And what we're going to see today is that in Christ, God makes the true Israel, we the church, an exceedingly great army as well. So with that, let us pray as we approach God's word. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that all the promises of God find their yes in Christ, that though Ezekiel promises salvation for God's people and a restoration from exile, Lord, in the fullest sense of the word, you have restored your people in Christ by making a way for us to have fellowship with the God of the universe through the Son that was given for us, and it is indeed by his wounds that we are healed. We ask, O Lord, that you would give us wisdom as we exalt in your salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. I like to think that Ezekiel is the classic gospel preacher. You see, Ezekiel uh, knows that when he's writing, uh, there's a few things he has to communicate. He has to communicate the reality of where the people of God are, and he has to encourage the people of God of what is yet to come. And so when he writes of the the valley of the dry bones, which we will read in just a moment, he's coming at this uh, with a whole lot of uh, uh, ammunition, if you were, if you will. Remember, we're at Ezekiel chapter thirty-seven, so there's thirty-six chapters that have come before where Ezekiel's been saying quite a bit. In Ezekiel chapter three and chapter thirty-three, he describes himself as Israel's watchman. That is, that God has made him uh, a watchman, one who watches over God's flock of Israel. He describes that Israel will go into exile. And as he writes this particular passage, he's describing what restoration from exile looks like. And uh, as was said so well this morning, in our Sunday school class, uh, Ezekiel is well aware that not only he, but God's people, and, uh, and even the enemies of God are used as tools in God's hands. And so it's as if to say, uh, verse, or chapters 1 through 36 could basically be summed up like this. People of God, you have disobeyed God. And the consequences of your disobedience are that you will be exiled away from the very place that I promised to give you all the blessings 
Now, make no mistake, exile in Babylon is no small thing. Babylon is where the pagans live. It's where those who live that hate our God. And yet God says, I'm going to use the Babylonians to take you away into exile. And then Ezekiel's writing to people in exile. So keep that in mind as we read this oracle of Ezekiel. He has a vision for the future. Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 14. This is God's word. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound. And behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them. And flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and raise you up from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land, then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it. Ezekiel's message to the people of God is a message of God's righteousness. He's the watchman, remember? He's the one who's warning the people of Israel that you serve a righteous God. And the people of Israel, just like you and I, when we're confronted with the righteousness of God, we have a problem. Because this righteous God that demands our conformity to his righteousness in perfect, um, in, uh, how would you say it, his perfect demand for obedience. When we're confronted with that, the problem is that we understand all too quickly that we are not righteous. 
Ezekiel spends chapter after chapter after chapter warning the people of God that the way to, uh, to have blessing under your righteous God is to be righteous, to do righteous things, to, to follow the covenant, to trust him. And yet we know, as he describes what's happening in the nation of Israel, they continually fail. They continually turn aside to other gods, take matters into their own hands, and show themselves to be unrighteous. Now, brothers and sisters, we don't have to think real hard about how they would feel. Because you and I have the same problem, don't we? When we're confronted by the righteous demands of God, that we have no other gods before him, that we serve him perfectly, that we not sin because one tiny sin is enough to merit God's wrath, we understand the same thing that these people understand, that we got a problem. See, God was gracious to the people of Israel in that what he did is he confronted their problems so strongly, he made it so clear to them that they had a problem, that what he did was he picked them up out of the land that he had promised them, the place that he would give them their blessing, and he said, you know, I'm going to bring the Babylonians against you, and you're out of here. You're going to have to go live in exile. You're going to have to live where the pagans dwell. Because in my land, where I reign, righteousness must be. And so, the people of God go off into exile. Ezekiel has told the people already, by the time we get to this passage, the reason you're in exile is because God is righteous, he's demanded obedience, and you've disobeyed. It's that simple. And then, like all good gospel preachers, you know, he starts the gospel with, uh, we got bad news here, guys. Sin has wrecked everything. And in their context, sin means you've got to live away from God, and you've got to learn your lesson. You've got to be removed from this, this scenario in which you get to offer sacrifices and do these self-righteous things, right? And profane the temple of God in the name of temple worship. No, no, you don't get to do that. You must be exiled so you can learn what true righteousness is. He leaves with the bad news. People of God, this is the situation. That's what he says here. And then... We get to chapter 37. I love this passage. The first time I read this, I was a younger Christian, and it was just so freeing to have this uh, poetic uh, uh, picture, this word picture that God gives us about how he's going to treat these people who have so offended him. Let's, let's see exactly what he says here. So the hand of the Lord was upon him. That means he's, he's saying the, this is the formula for prophecy, right? This is the thus saith the Lord type of language. When God's hand was upon me, his spirit set me down in the middle of the valley. So think of this as Isaiah, or excuse me, Ezekiel having a vision, right? Here's what I saw. I was in the middle of this valley and it was full of bones, 
And God led him around among the bones, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. All right, so Ezekiel is not, he's seeing something that is just wrecked. He's seeing not only dead bodies, He's seeing bodies that have lost all of their flesh, have decayed to such a degree that there's just bones all over the place, and even the bones are dry. What he's communicating is utter hopelessness for these bones. They're just dead. That's the first thing he sees. And then God said to Ezekiel, Son of man, can these bones live and I answered, Oh, Lord God, you know. And you, know, you have to read that with a little, little bit of a smile on your face because it's like the God of the universe says, Ken, can I make something happen with these bones? And you're like, I don't think so. They look pretty dead. Uh, God, maybe you know. That's kind of what's going on here. So he says, Oh, God, you know. I don't want to answer because I don't want to get the answer right, but it doesn't look real hopeful is sort of the, the undertone here. Then God said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And now we see the voice switching to God speaking directly to the bones. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. The actor in the coming to life is not the bones is it it's god saying i will cause breath to enter you and you shall live verse six and i will lay sinews upon you and i will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that i am the lord If you're in Ezekiel's original audience, you know that you're the dry bones. You know that that he is right. You are exiled without hope. There is no restoration for you because of your sin. And then he preaches this message to you and says, wait a minute, but God is saying that you, when he puts his breath in you and he uh, enfleshes these bones again, that you're going to come to life And there's an important phrase he uses at the end of verse 6. And you shall know that I am the Lord. It's a little uh, mental exercise here. How are these dead bones going to know that God is the Lord? Well, dead bones can't live on their own. Dead bones have no breath in them. Dead bones have no power in and of themselves despite their willpower, their good deeds, their thoughts, their being part of the covenant people of God. In and of themselves, they have no power to do anything. And so what Ezekiel says is, Israel, I want you to watch something. God's going to do something. And when he does it, you shall know that he is the Lord So then we see in verse 7, another, uh, he keeps prophesying, and he says, So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound. So, So check the picture out. He's having this vision, and he's real timid because he doesn't want to say, Yeah, God, you could do it. So God says, 
let me take over. Just prophesy. And he says, prophesy to the bones. And as he's saying the words that God has given him, he hears a rattling. He hears a rattling of these very dead bones, these dry bones that he was asked to speak to. In verse 5, verse 6, 7, excuse me. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath. You could see essentially what God is doing here in the words of Ezekiel is he is turning back the curse, as it were. We started with, you're dead because of your unrighteousness. We're now to the point that God is going to make the bones come together. He's going to put sinews on them. He's going to cover them in flesh. But they don't have any breath in them. They don't have life yet. They're people that are, let's say, walking around without any breath. And he says this. Then he said to me, verse 9, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God. Now, this, this language of breath should be familiar, right? So when God created man, he had to breathe into him his life. His spirit was given to Adam, and that's what made him alive. It's the same language that you're seeing here, that there is no life without God making it so by giving them his breath, their breath. And he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath again, thus says the Lord God, come from the winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. And so I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. There you go. Dead bones, the valley full of everything that signifies death. And now we're at the point where God has intervened and he stands those dead bones up as what Ezekiel describes as an exceedingly great army. The contrast couldn't be bigger. The point here is that we went from death to an exceedingly great army because someone had to intervene. And the one who intervened is God. And here's where we start seeing uh, glimpses of the gospel. You know, brothers and sisters, like I said, Ezekiel's a gospel preacher. He may not use the same language that we New Testament Christians use, but his message is the same. We got a problem. God's righteous. The fact that we're not righteous makes us lost and without hope in the world. But you see, God's going to intervene because we're dead. We're the, we're the dead ones, the dry bones, right? Something has to happen for us to become alive because by sin, we're dead. And of course, we know that God is the one that acts upon those people that have offended him, the dry bones, the dead bodies, as it were, and breathes life into them by his righteous and he stands you and me up, those who the word tells us were far off, who, were, who had offended God, 
with no desire to please him. And he stands us up and he makes us his army. We'll get more uh, to that in a minute. I love this passage because uh, Ezekiel makes no uh, mystery of what he is saying. This is, a, this is great because in verses 11 through 14, he says, here's what I saw, people. Here's what this means. He says this. Then he said to me, verse 11, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We're cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And can't you just hear the hallelujah that these people must have felt? God is calling them his people. I will raise you up. Why? Not because you're righteous. Not because you try real hard. Not because you can do anything about it. I'm going to raise you up because you are my people. That's the message that Ezekiel wants these people to, see, to hear. I will open your graves and raise you up from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves again, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. So he completes this gospel message saying, you're lost and without hope. God has intervened because you are his people. He is going to do something that will make it ever so clear that he is the Lord God because you are his people. Pause on Ezekiel for a minute and I want you to hear how another gospel writer unfolds this very same gospel. I'm going to switch over to Ephesians chapter 2 and I want you to hear the echoes of the same way in which Ezekiel approaches this task of preaching to God's people, the same is, is, is very similar to how Paul unfolds the gospel. In Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10, it says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead bones on the valley floor. In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power in the air, the spirit that is now in the work, in the sons of disobedience. And he goes on and on and on. Verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even as we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Paul's a gospel preacher. Ezekiel is a gospel preacher. Their message is the same. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God intervened. And what did he do? He made us alive together in Christ. And Paul closes his gospel just like Ezekiel does when he says, here's what you need to know about this. Listen to what he says. God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? Verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Why did 
God raise in Ezekiel's mind the dead bones on the valley floor so that his people would know that God is God and that they are his people. Why does Paul write about being dead in our trespasses, but God intervening so that in the coming ages, God might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Does anybody believe yet that Ezekiel is a gospel preacher? He is. His message is the message of salvation. We're lost. God's going to intervene. And when he intervenes, it's going to be really clear that he is the one who did it. Now, brothers and sisters, let's, let's talk about what this means to us. I hope that as you were uh, hearing these two passages, uh, you had some sort of reaction as, as, as I did, which is, whoa, this is bad. Death all over the place. Dry bones, no hope. Paul, you were dead in the trespasses and sins which once enslaved you. But you see, the beauty of the gospel is we don't stop there, do we? It's true that we've offended God. It's true that he has every right to demand our perfect obedience. He's the one that made us. He gets to say, in order to please me, you got to be perfect. And we're like those in Romans 9 who sort of shake our fist and say, no, 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 you don't get to say that. You're just the one that made me. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous that we do that, right? God gets to say, you have to be perfect in order to please me. And so, brothers and sisters, the, the, uh, an element of this gospel that we believe, that we need to grasp, is that we really have offended God. We really do deserve the death that's written of here. And isn't the great hope that we have that God doesn't let it end there? Because the grace of God in Christ has intervened in our problem. As Paul describes, he says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us. You know, if we were all a bunch of Pharisees, and we were all a bunch of sort of law people, we would, read, we would think the passage would read like this. But God, being rich in mercy, because you figured it out and you started to obey once you heard something about him, that's why God's doing this. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is that despite being told that you are unrighteous, and despite being told that God has demands on us, and despite our utter failure to listen, God takes our heart of stone and he puts in us a heart of flesh and he says it's because of his great mercy and brothers and sisters that's our encouragement that we have right is that despite our 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 failures that God is showing himself over and over and over again to be a merciful God and the beauty of the gospel is that God's the one that's acting So, how does that make us feel when we, good Christians, disobey? We fail. We know to do things 
that we don't do. And we know we shouldn't do things that we do. How are we supposed to understand this great mercy that's been given to us, and yet because of the old man living in us, we fail constantly? We can only understand that. Well, let me pause. How do we understand that in light of us being described as the Israel of God, as his treasured possession, as the bride of Christ? If ever there were a bride you didn't want to marry, it was this one, guys. Yet God calls us beautiful and beloved and perfect because God wants to show his immeasurable riches of his grace. And so I hope that this passage, as you read it, and as you read all other clear gospel passages, that your reaction would be, the one that both Paul and Ezekiel call us to, which is one of worship, one of gospel, I want to say disbelief, because it's sort of hard to believe that this is true. But it's, it's, it's a belief despite the fact that it, it, it should be impossible for us to come to God. That's the reaction that Ezekiel wants, because he wants us to know that it's not because we did anything. It's because God decided to act. All right, so how, final point here, how is Ezekiel's prophecy fulfilled? How do, what is this exceedingly great army? So yes, we talked in Sunday school about there's a fulfillment in that Israel really was taken out of Babylon, and restored to the promised land. So, fulfillment number one. Done. It happened. He says, I'm going to raise you up. You're going to go back to where I told you you could be because I want you to know I'm God, and that happened. But brothers and sisters, uh, we too are an exceedingly great army, are we not? Because think of it this way. You're out in exile in, in Babylon, and yeah, okay, God's going to rescue me, and he does that. And you, you're grateful for a little while, right? Then you show back up in the promised land, and you are so toast because you're going to sin over and over and over again. And what are you thinking? I thought God brought me back to show me something, and yet this is where I'm supposed to be righteous. I've got to offer the temple sacrifices. I've got to, I've got to do everything I know to, to please God, and yet I'm reminded again and again and again that I'm disobedient. And so we talked earlier about how there was this whole system that we had to make atonement by, and all that's doing is reminding us over and over, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you can't make it, you're not perfect. You see, for the Christian, though, This is fulfilled in a different way. We are an exceedingly great army because our sin has been completely paid for. Not just the sins that got us into the proverbial Babylon, as it were, but every sin that we have committed and that we will commit. And so when we stand as an exceedingly great army, it's like we got the banner of Christ on us saying, we're standing here because Jesus stood us up and because Jesus has gone before us. And there's nothing that I can do that will 
using Paul's language, language, separate us from the love of Christ. You are the exceedingly great army, brothers and sisters. Be encouraged that as you struggle with your sin, as you struggle in exile, that God has intervened in Christ. He has paid for the sin. He has made you right before him, stood you up as his exceedingly great army, and all that we need to do, brothers and sisters, is to say it was God that did it. He's the reason why I'm righteous. So that you may know the immeasurable riches of his grace toward us in Christ. That's, that's the whole point of the gospel. So that he saves us not to like make us better people. He saves us so that we may know that we have a God who saves sinners despite being dead on the valley floor. So brothers and sisters, let our, 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 our obedience be fueled from the knowledge that God has made a way. And despite the imperfection of that obedience, God makes it perfect in Christ so that we would praise him in the coming ages.